already? All right. I think one of the exciting things in our spiritual journey is when we begin to discover God's purpose for our life, right? And so in order to figure out what God's purpose is, you, and, and when I say purpose, um, the specific purpose, uh, for me it was to be a pastor, so for you it might be something completely different. But in order to get to that specific purpose, we've got to understand about how God develops that purpose in us and what he does in and through our life as he begins to mold us and shape us. And when you begin to figure out how and why he's doing what he's doing, and ultimately that leads you to that very specific purpose, where there is nothing more exciting in your spiritual journey than to know that you are right in the sweet spot in your spiritual journey and your spiritual life. You're being obedient. You're doing what God has shaped you and, and called you to do. And so today we're not going to talk about your specific plan. We're going to look at a little bit of that next week, but we're going to talk about how God develops the purpose in us and what he does in and through our lives. And a lot of times the things that he's doing in and through our lives, we resist and we push back. All right. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet for 40 years, as I said earlier, for 40 years, he weeped. Can you imagine that? Every day waking up, weeping for the spiritual condition of Israel. He cried out because when he spoke to them, it fell on deaf ears. And he was really struggling with his whole purpose and what he was doing. And God, why are you allowing this to happen? And I speak and they don't listen. They don't do what I say. And he's getting frustrated. And so he needs kind of a fresh word from God. He needs some direction. He needs some guidance in his life in order for him to realize and recognize what the purpose is. And so he has this interchange, this conversation with God, and God asks him to go down to the potter's house. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and, and again, in, in Jeremiah 18, as he is going to give uh, Jeremiah a visual, and he's going to help him to understand the power of aligning his life with God, and he's going to share with him that the difficulties that he's going through is really for a bigger purpose. And as much as Jeremiah doesn't like it, and as much as we don't like it in our life when we're being conformed into the image of Christ, uh, we push back. And really, in reality, that is how God shapes us into his ultimate image that he desires. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there and let's take a look. Jeremiah 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And here's what he says. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So in verse 3, he goes down to the potter's house, and he saw him working at the wheel. Now, it is, this, this is not a true potter's wheel. This is kind of a visual for us to see. But in the illustration, God is the potter, right? And we are the clay, all right, so we are, we are placed upon the potter's wheel, and the potter is God, and we are the lump of clay that he is going to begin to shape, and he's going to begin to, 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 uh, to conform. Verse 4, but the, potter, uh, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, uh, shaping it as, uh, it as seemed best, to him, and we're going to come back to that. It's an important part of the verse. <clears throat> verse 5. 
when the word of the Lord came to me, and here's what God says. So, so, so Jeremiah goes down there. Here's the potter sitting, right? He's spinning his, 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 his clay, and all of a sudden he recognizes that it's marred. And so the potter collapses it, pushes down, almost went overboard, right? Pushes it down and begins to reform it into the image. And Jeremiah is looking at this and he's seeing that his life uh, is the clay, that God is the potter, and the hands of God is around him. And he's being squished in order to be conformed or reformed into a complete new image. And so in verse 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 6, O house of Israel, can I not... Uh, can I not do with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Verse 7, if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, verse 8, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned, okay? And so he's getting this visual as, God, as, as the potter reshapes it, all right? And so what we need to recognize as we get going is we recognize that the potter and the hand of the potter is a symbol of God, and we are a, the lump of clay, okay? So with that visual, let's take a look. There are three important principles to grab a hold of in this story when it comes to understanding how God develops our purpose in us. Now again, it's not the specific purpose of what we are to do specifically, but it is a general purpose that God desires to do in and in through our life so that we get that specific purpose. Are you following me? All right, so let's take a look. Number one in your outline is to recognize the position of God. You've got to recognize the position of God. And this is perhaps the most important one of all of them, is to understand who God is, to understand that you are the lump of clay, that He is the potter. All right. Now, oftentimes what happens is, we want to do a role reversal, don't we? We want to be the potter, we want God to be the clay so that we can shape God into the image that we want Him to be. Right? And that becomes very problematic. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And the reality is, I hate to tell you this, you're not God. Nor am I. Right? You are a lump of clay. And I am a lump of clay. And He is the one who is the maker. And we are the lump of clay that is to be made into the image of Christ. Now, in Psalms 103, it talks about the importance of recognizing that there is a God, that there's a, that there's a God. And it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the, the, the sheep of His pasture, right? Now, again, we're in church. The majority of the people are going to go, Well, of course I believe that there's a God. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be here. I'd be home watching the football game, right? Or I'd be out doing whatever it is that I... You're doing because today you want to say you recognize that there's a God. But let me just kind of pause. We can believe that there is a God, but we don't live as if there's a God. Right? So we, we can believe that there's a God, 
But are we willing to recognize his position and are we willing to recognize our position? And so when we don't recognize that there is a God and live as if there is a God, then we're more inclined to want to do the role reversal and flip sides and we want to then tell God what he needs to do and what, what, what he needs to do for us to make us happy and so on and so forth, right? And it's very frustrating in our life when there's this upside down idea that's taking place. And, and, and just we'll look at this a little bit next week. Regardless of the situation that you were born into, you are not an accident. Your parents may have told you you were, right? The adoption agency may have said that you were, but the reality is you were planned by God and you are not an accident. And when we recognize that, regardless of what we're born into, right? That's a different subject. The reality is, is that we are not an accident. And when we recognize that, when life begins to make a little more sense. Verse 6 of Jeremiah 18. He says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you uh, as the potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And, and, and again, it's the idea that we, we recognize he is the maker. We are the one being formed. We are the one that's getting up onto the table, the potter's wheel, so that he's able to form us into that image. And we, we need to recognize that as we, as we begin to understand what his ultimate will is for our life. In Isaiah, he talks about woe to him who quarrels with the maker. Right. And then he says, you know, does does a broken piece of pottery that's laying on the ground amongst all the other broken pieces. So I hate to tell you this. You are a broken pot. Right. Hopefully you're not a smoking pot. That's a different problem. But you are a broken pot. Right. You are a broken pot amongst pieces of broken pottery on the ground. Does the broken piece of pottery say to the hand of God, God, this is what you need to do in my life? And that's what we do. We want to tell God what it is that he needs to do. And when God begins to form us and shape us, there are times in our life where we may not say it out loud, but we think it. God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like the pressure you're, 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 you're putting on me. I don't like the situation that I'm in. I don't like what's taking place. I don't like how you're conforming me. God, I think that you're making a big mistake. And we want to, again, we want to get off of it and we want to be in control. The problem is, is that when we make our pottery, it looks like something a preschool kid would make. Right? And it's not good for anything. There's holes. It's going to fall apart. It's a mess. And when we push God's hand away and say, God, I'll fix it, this is what we get. And then we scratch our head and we say, well, that isn't right. Because what, what Jeremiah understands is, you're not the potter, you are simply the lump of clay. And you need to be willing to get onto the wheel in order for him to shape and to mold us. How many control freaks are there out here? Go ahead. All of you can raise your hand because we are all control freaks, right? You don't know. You don't think so. Oh, do you like problems? Do you want to control them? Yes. 
You want to control the people in your life that cause you heartache and headache? Yes. You want to control the economy? Yes. You want to control your boss? Yeah. You want to control the federal government? Yeah. State government? Yeah. Right? You want to control all of it. Because we are control freaks. And here's what happens. The more that we try to control, the less we are in control. Right? And the reality is, and we don't like to really kind of internalize this, the reality is you don't control anything. You don't control anything. You think you do, but you don't. You think you have, and we experienced this in the downturn in the economy a few years ago. Oh, I got plenty of money. I got tons of equity. I got a nice house. Really? How'd that work for you? Right? So we don't control we want to, but we don't. But you can live under the control of the one who is in control. See, and that's where we need to understand. Where Jer- that's what Jeremiah is saying. Is he's like, you know what? I don't have control. I don't have control of what the Israelites are going to accept my word or not. But I do have the ability to live under the control of the one who is shaping me and molding me because he is in control. And when we begin to recognize that in our life, then life begins to make sense. His purpose begins to make sense. In the New Testament, in Philippians, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. You know that verse? That verse is saying, hey, there's going to be a time when Christ comes back and everyone's going to recognize that He's the Messiah. But here's the warning for you. It would be better that you do it on this side of His return than that side of His return. And live. Don't just believe it. But live as if He is Lord of your life. That He is in complete control of your life. Verse, go back to uh, Jeremiah 4, uh, or sorry, verse 4 in eight, ver, uh, chapter 18. But the pot He was shaping from the clay was marred in His hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seems best to you. To who? To who? And, and the potter is God. And so he is going to shape you into the image that he sees best for you. Pause. So that means however you're born, the issues that you have, if the culture wants to call it issues, disabilities, handicaps, whatever it is that they want to say that it is, God has formed you as he sees best. And as soon as you embrace that, you don't have to worry about what the world thinks. But the hand of God has shaped you and molded you specifically how he wanted you to be. And we want to push back on that. All right? And we'll look at this next week where we look at Paul's life. Paul, Paul was basically trying to be undermined because he had some physical issues. He, he was trying to be undermined by the Judaizers uh, that, that there's no way that God could possibly use him. And yet God used him in a mighty way. But he embraced his weakness. And when he embraced his weakness, God shined through his life. Right? And the same thing is true in our life. When we recognize that God has a purpose in us and that he has shaped and molded us exactly as he sees best, then life begins to make more sense to us. Number two. The second thing is to realize your purpose is to have a relationship 
with the Creator, right? So we recognize God's position. Number two is that, that we, we come to understand that the reason why God made us is He made us to love us and for us to love Him, right? And, and so when we begin to understand that, it makes more sense. Now again, and I know in church life, I know what the answer is. It's like, well, duh, Pastor Dan, why do you think we're here? But here's what I want to press you on. Are you living that way? I didn't ask you if you believed it. But are you living that way? Do you recognize that God's purpose for your life is to have that personal relationship? Because here's where we struggle as believers. We want God's assignment out here, but we're not working on the relationship, the love relationship that He has with us to get us there. It's like, God, give me the assignment. God's saying, well, first of all, get the loving part down first. Then I'll give you the assignment. But we want the assignment. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? And he's like, no, no, you've got to get the, the relational part down and understand that first in my life. We've said this through the series. God is with us, in us, and by us. His life is our life, and our life is his life. There's no separation. And we looked at that the last couple weeks. That the Spirit of God dwells in us. Right? When Jesus said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send another of the same kind of spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell within you. And, and when the Spirit comes and dwells within you, He's going to be with you, in you, and by you. And His life is your life. And His purpose is your purpose. And there is no separation. And as you live your life, and this has been the whole series, when you live your life, the light of Jesus should be shining through you. And the world ought to see the light of Christ in and through you. Okay, But the importance is understanding that relational part and that love relationship that God has for us. Number three, the third thing is to rest in His ability to shape us for His purpose. And this is where we don't like being conformed into the image of Christ. So here we go. Contrary to North American Christianity, God is more interested in your character than He is your comfort. Okay, Too many guys are talking about how God wants to bless you. Just study the, 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 the 12 disciples and let me know how God blessed them. Some of them were hung upside down. Some of them were boiled alive. Some of them were decapitated. Some of them were skinned alive and hung upside down. Blessed. Right? So oftentimes, we think, well, God, this we're being conformed and we don't like it, but it's shaping our character so that we are shaped and we are conformed into the image that Christ desires for us to be shaped into. Back to verse 4. But the pot was shaped, uh, uh, that, that he was shaping from the clay was marred, circle the word marred, in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another shape, one that was best suited for him. And so the word marred means, it means corrupt, all right? It, it means physically destroyed. It is a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know what that's like, okay? So, so as, as the potter was spinning the clay, Inside the clay, there was probably a little piece of stone, something that was hard, and as it was spinning and he was shaping it, it became marred. Not, in, not that his hands were marred, Lord's hands were marred, but that the clay was marred. 
Okay? All of us are sinners. Amen? Welcome to the club of sinners. Right? We're all sinners. We're all marred in some way. Right? And so in our life, we are marred. So the, the reality is, is God's going to take broken pieces to shape us. But there are some things that we have to understand when it comes to what hinders God shaping us. In your outline, how do we hinder God from shaping us? And there are four ways. The first one is, letter A in your outline, is we refuse to surrender. We refuse to surrender. And here's the easiest visual. This is your life. And God says, get on the wheel. And you say, I'm not going to do it. Get on the wheel. No, I'm going to do my own thing. And God says, okay, there you are. You like it? No, it's not fun. I want purpose. I want meaning. Well, get on the wheel. I don't want to get on the wheel. Because I'm not sure that you have my back, God. I'm not sure you know what you're doing. I'm not sure that you really care about me. And we refuse to surrender our life to get onto the wheel in order for him to shape and to mold us. And we refuse to surrender, right? That is perhaps the biggest obstacle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the biggest obstacle that you're wrestling with. You want to control and you want to tell God what to do. And that goes all the way back into the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Letter B is we disobey so that our hearts get hard and dry up. So as we refuse to surrender and as we refuse to be obedient to God, what ends up happening is, and this isn't clay that you fire, this is just air-dried clay, but what ends up happening is we become hard and we become very brittle. And our heart is hard. And God tries to speak in, get on the wheel, I want to shape you. No, God, I don't want you to. And we begin to flake and break away. And our heart is hard. We don't have the moisture, and we're just not interested in it. And in some senses, we tell God, God, I think I know what's best. And so I just want to push you back. Right? And our heart becomes hard. Letter C is we have no convictions. <clears throat> we have too little consistency and, too, uh, and, and, are, and are too moist. Now, what, what, what is that like? We have one of our core values when it comes to growth is a, a visual of what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is head, heart, and hands. Head is what you believe. Okay? Oftentimes believers believe certain things but they are not convictions in the heart of those certain things so so when we believe something we have beliefs that we hold okay convictions is really what holds us to it so let me explain it this way you may believe that lying and stealing is simple and we shouldn't do it. I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. Right? You believe that. And when you're with certain groups of people who have like beliefs, 
It's easy for you to hold that belief. But it's not a conviction. And when you go into another group of people who, perhaps it's in the work environment, who say lying and stealing, it's not a big deal. Everyone's doing it. In fact, here's what I do. When I get ready to write the report at the end of the month and it says I'm supposed to make eight phone calls and nine sales, I just do it. And you ought to do it too because here's what I know. The boss doesn't even check. So why don't you just do it? And you're like, okay. Your belief says no stealing and no lying, but it's not a conviction. And when you get around the wrong influence of people, then you just accept that. And that guy says, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's no big deal. No one ever comes and checks on it. I'm just going to say I got eight sales, nine phone calls, whatever it is to make the boss happy. I just jot it down because it's not a conviction. So believers in Jesus Christ, we believe lots of things. But we're not convicted about many things. And that's the difference when you look at spiritual growth. Head knowledge. You know a lot of people who have lots of Bible head knowledge? But it doesn't translate into core convictions. And it doesn't reveal itself in the hands of the people. They have facts and figures, no convictions, therefore it doesn't reveal itself in their hands. And that's the same thing in our life. When we have, we have too much moisture, we don't have no convictions, we're mushy. And we don't have those core convictions in our life. And then the last one is we, uh, uh, when we have unconfessed sin in our life. And that's where we're sitting here today and we recognize that tonight I'm going to be disobedient to God. And so today as we get ready to leave church, I'm going to ask God to forgive me for what I'm going to do tonight so that all is good. The problem with that is that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He will forgive us. But confession and repentance is to change. It's to acknowledge, God, your ways are right, mine's wrong, and I'm going to turn from it and I'm not going to do it tonight or tomorrow night or the next night. And I'm going to flee from that sin. And we sit here today, and the funny thing is, is we sit here, and maybe no one else around you knows what you're struggling with, but God knows what you're struggling with. And when we confess it, God isn't like, oh, I can't believe, Dan, I didn't know you had that struggle. I mean, He knows what my struggles are. He recognizes it. But when we have areas of our life where we have unconfessed sin, or we're going to ask God to forgive us just so we can get through tonight and feel good about ourselves, that's guilt relief, that isn't true confession, then then we're going to be marred, and we're not going to be shaped into the image that Christ desires for us to be. And so you know what happens when we're not willing to surrender? You ever go through the same problems over and over and over and over again? And you wonder, God, why are you doing this? He's like, here we are again, let's do it again. You ever wonder why? Can I just tell you? Because you haven't learned. That's why he's taking you through it one more time. Because he is going to press down. He's going to reconform you into the image that he desires to. And if you don't get it, guess what he's going to do again? He's going to press down and he's going to reconfigure you and reform you into the image that he desires to do. And as soon as we're willing to accept that, 
and embrace that, the better off we are. But none of us like to feel that pressure. But let me give you a couple verses that I think is incredibly encouraging. Look at look in Isaiah, prophet Isaiah says 49 verse 6. You think about the hands that are shaping and molding you. Here's what it says. He says, see, I have engra- uh, engraved you on the palm of my hand. I mean, the hand of God that is shaping you and molding you has your name written on, site, on the inside of it. When Christ was nailed to the cross, your name was placed on it. And as his loving hands forms us and shapes us, and we want to resist, it's his loving hands that wants to form us and shape us. His hands that flung the stars into existence, his hands that piled dirt and blew life into a pile of dirt to make the complexity of man, those hands want to shape and mold you. And if we're willing to surrender to that, and we're willing to allow His loving hands to form us, and it's not comfortable, we'll all acknowledge that right now, it's not comfortable, but as He shapes and molds us, He's not doing it out of anger, He's doing it out of love for you. Because He has a better plan for your life. And if we are willing to just surrender to that and allow him to shape and mold us, it's, it's amazing what God will do in and through us. In Isaiah 41 there, he talks about the right hand of God holding us up, right? Holding on to us. He doesn't discard us. He doesn't kick us to the curb and throw us aside. But his loving hand continues to hold on to us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. We're going to look at this whole verse next week. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, uh, that this all-surpassing power, surpassing power is from God and not from us. That God's power works in and through our life as we surrender and as we allow Him. Just ordinary vessels, right? Broken pots that His power shapes and molds us into the beautiful creation that He desires. If we're willing to allow Him to conform us into that image. And then Jeremiah 18, verse 8, we're going to wrap up. Here's what he says. And he says, And if that nation I warn repents of its evil, I will, uh, then I will relent. And that word relent in the Hebrew means a sigh of relief. It's like, you want to know why He does that? Because He loves you. And he loves when you are willing to say, Lord, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I, I've done this on my own. And I know how it works. It doesn't work. And I'm going to get on the potter's wheel. And, I, and I'm going to repent. And I'm just going to relax. And I'm going to surrender to you. That your loving hands that has engraved my name on your palms. Lord, you're going to shape me and you're going to mold me. And there's going to be times in my life where I'm like, Lord, you're pressing too hard. I don't like it. Let me have some space. And you're going to conform me into the beautiful image that you desire to make me. And folks, when you do that, when you do that, it, it, is, it is, from a spiritual standpoint, it's like the sweet spot in your spiritual journey. And if you've ever been there, and then maybe you've gone off track, you long to get back there. 
because it is the land of milk and honey and your relationship with God is so rich and so powerful and you feel like you're walking with him hand in hand. And when you get sidetracked and you get off on your own and you're in the ruts, it's like, oh, Lord, I just want to get back. And here's the deal. Are you going to surrender? Are you going to surrender? And are you going to get back on the potter's wheel and allow him to shape and mold you? Are you going to be sensitive to a spirit? And see, that's the challenge. We want the assignment. Lord, I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a whatever it is. And he's like, no, you got the cart before the horse there. First, be willing to recognize my position. Be, be willing to work on that love relationship and recognize that I'm going to force and touch and pull and conform you into my image. And you need to rest in those moments that I'm conforming you. And folks, as a church, my prayer is that we would all be in that position. Because if you ever wondered how 12 unfit, dysfunctional folks who are followers of Jesus was able to take the gospel and spread to the four corners of this world, they were willing They were willing to surrender completely to God's guidance and God's direction. Took them a while to get there, didn't it? But they got there. And the culture can change. And the schools can change. And families can change. And people can change. When when the church, when the body of followers of Jesus Christ are willing to be the message for the kingdom. And I've heard, and it's been so encouraging, emails, personal testimonies of how God has laid people in front of you. One of the big parts is love the one in front of you. And how people have called, you know, I had these opportunities in the past and I just kind of push them aside. Now all of a sudden I recognize that God's placed that person in my life for me to love them. And become sensitive to God's placement of people in your life. And if we're going to make a difference in the culture, That's exactly what we have to be. We have to be the message to the world. But before we do that, here it is. This is you. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to get on your wheel and I'm going to allow you to shape me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity and that, uh, Lord, my just... My heart, I know me personally, I I wrestle with that. I think I have great ideas for you to do in my life, and I just want you to do them. And Father, I ask you to forgive me for having that very short-sighted, narrow-minded view and thinking that I know what's best for my life. And Father, my hunch is is that there's lots of folks who are here today who feel the same way, that we want to control, we want to be in charge. And Lord, we just ask you to, to humble our hearts. Lord, we want to be laid upon the potter's wheel. And we want your loving hands that has our name engraved on it to shape us and to mold us into your image. And Father, I pray that we won't resist those pressure points and those difficulties and perhaps even painful times that we go through in order for you to conform us into your image. Lord, we know you love us 
We know you have great plans for us. And we want to just surrender to that with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've never allowed Jesus to be Lord of your life or invited Jesus to be Lord of your life. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that. We do just a little ABC. A is admit that we're sinners. We are all marred by sin. B is believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And C is to confess him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and your desire is to enter into that personal relationship with Christ, I ask you to just, as I say this prayer, just silently repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today, I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me, for giving me a new start. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, as we give back to you a portion of what you blessed us with, Lord, we pray that you'll bless this offering, you'll use it to the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, just as a leader, so grateful for um, the generosity of the folks, and I pray, God, just a special blessing upon them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said...